Welcome to Biz Culture Matters, where we help the good guys win. And we've got Steve Gandero with me, and we've got Zach Gandero with me. And I'm going to introduce our guest in just a moment. Welcome, guys. Great to be here, Rob. We've got a great, great guest today. We're glad to be here, too, because he we did just do an interview with him that'll be on excellentcultures.com soon. So that'll be good, too. So you guys will get to hear him, and then we'll put some more stuff out there from Bob that's there to help all of you. Great. We've got a great blog spot out there, too. Uh, <laughs> there's a mouse so, in the yeah, studio. There, there's, the there's, mouse. A, there's a mouse The mouse in the just studio. crawled across the microphone. Steve, go ahead and introduce our guest today. Well, uh, Bob Hinton is one of the most unique guys from a business leadership perspective I've ever had the opportunity to meet in that not only does he hold down two jobs at Moss Adams, the largest CPA firm in the West, well, actually three jobs. I mean, Bob is the manager of the Tacoma office practice, so a day-to-day leader. He also manages their dealer services division that specializes in any kind of business that is a distributor of products or a dealership of products, and he is also the guy that's in charge of marketing for all of Moss Adams, you know, globally across the United States. So tremendous guys. Is, did I say that right? Yeah, not quite right. Well, uh, we're going to let Bob tell you about his, jo- his job and what he does that's uh, accurate. But uh, what I'm so impressed about in Bob as a leader is he's got some of the greatest insights on how to in- enable and engage and empower people to live the values of his corporation and his business that anybody I've ever heard. And uh, recently on a show, we spoke with a leader who enlightened us on transparency. Bob has practices that he's operationalized in his business and does on a regular basis that are phenomenal. You're going to love to hear it. So, Bob, tell us the real story on what you really do. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate the, well, uh, the fan club here, guys. So yes. um, it's kind of humbling. Uh, well, I've, I have to tell you that I've been with Moss Adams for over 25 years, and um, I have to give uh, the credit to a lot of things I'm going to talk about today to the culture of the firm. Um, I, I do currently manage our, uh, our Tacoma office. I've done that for about five years now and uh, spent uh, time in uh, other offices as well, uh, 16 years in our Everett office. Had different roles with the firm. Uh, I've also, as, as Steve talked about, I manage our dealer services practice, which is an automotive, uh, you know, retail heavy equipment uh, practice that encompasses uh, our over 20 offices. And I also spend time in the region, in the Puget Sound region, uh, focusing on, uh, you know, client service, uh, client facing issues uh, on a regional basis. So I'm working with different offices in the region too. It gives me a, it gives me a, a lot of opportunity to interface with lots of clients and learn a lot from the marketplace. Well, you're doing some also, you, we talked earlier, Bob, about some of the community aspects. Tell us a little about your community involvement because that's a, I think that's another part of what we talked about in our previous shows about how a company and those that represent the company are going beyond just the employees and clients and really reaching to the, at the community level. Tell us a little bit about your community involvement with Moss, Moss Adams. Sure. I think the precursor to that conversation is really a, a, a function of um, – you know, purpose. It's a purpose statement. And I think in the recession over the last five years, I've done a lot of introspection. I know that uh, we as a firm is, have historically been very active in our, the communities that we live in and practice in. Uh, but the purpose of trying to make a valuable difference is our purpose as a firm uh, in the lives of our clients and our people, communities we're in. 
And so how, how we implement that is really, um, you know, based on the people and the partners and the staff and the offices. And so what we do is we, we reach into the, 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 the organization, the staff, and we have a, what I call a people committee. Uh, and people that want to be on that committee decide they want to be on that committee, and anybody can be on it. And we collectively um, decide what charities we want to be involved in, uh, things like that. And so ultimately, um, you know, that, that group uh, collectively decides on, on what we, we focus on. And that's the fun part about it is people get excited about it. So, Bob, I'm, what I'm so impressed about knowing you and watching you operate as a leader with your people is the fact that every firm that's sizable these days says all the same stuff you just said. But what I see that's different about you and your people and your culture is there's like a spirit, like an ethos, you know, a, a esprit de corps among you and your people where that gets lived from the heart. It's not just, you know, something that we're doing to be good corporate citizens or to comply. I mean, and, and to me, from a, a CPA firm that is about helping businesses, you know, comply and, and comply with regulations and rules, you guys have done something that is almost, you know, magical with respect to how you are able to operationalize in a large way with a lot of people living those values as opposed to just talking about them and robotically going through them in the community. You know, what's the secret? Well, I think it's uh, that's, that's a fantastic compliment. Thank you. I think um, we as a firm have really tried to embrace um, who we are in the marketplace, and we've tried to embrace uh, our value systems. And, and I can speak briefly about that. Our, we call it pillar, uh, passion for excellence, integrity, lifetime learning, leading by example, accountability, and respect. And more, more than just um, a statement of values, we use those values uh, to determine how we make decisions. So if we're making key uh, business decisions, we can go through a logical model and we can go through a consequential model. We can look at the pros and cons like anybody else, but at the end of the day we say, does this match up with our pillar value systems? And ultimately, uh, whether it's a people issue, a client issue, a business issue, a community issue, if it doesn't resonate or harmonize with those values, um, we just won't do it. And that's 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 what we that's really what we try to focus on. How do how does a company that wants to live at those values and I, I think those are excellent values. How do you measure? Is there a way of measuring that you're actually performing to what you desire to uh, to to bring forth in the marketplace? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the uh, you know the, the 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 obvious answer is that's a qualitative response. There isn't a way to quantify that, but. What we do is over time is we uh, challenge ourselves. So we will have um, from a from a um, you know partner to partner peer review process. Um, we will be asking ourselves: Are we living up to those value systems? Um, we'll ask our clients. Um, we'll ask people in the community. And then there's something else we do: is we spend a lot of time listening to our staff. So, for example, we have in, have done this for decades. We have what, what's called an upstream evaluation process, whereby uh, staff can anonymously um, evaluate me or anybody else in the organization um, blindly so we don't know who they are but I will get a composite scoring um, for everybody in the office including myself on how we match up in our pillar value systems and again that's been a cultural Im implementation to that question um, and we're always looking for better ways as well I don't know if we have all the answers but that's something we've done for for a long time 
Uh, so I've grown up in that system. I really don't know any other way uh, to, to look at it. Well, you guys have been around for 100 years. Yes. And, of course, uh, we, you haven't been there 100 years. No, no, <laughs> no. So uh, looking at the, the company and how it's adjusted and, and over time, and, 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 of course, you only have you know, your history with them, um, how does a company that's been around 100 years, um, I mean, move into that or, or, or keep that culture? Is this a culture that the company started 100 years ago and said, this is the way we're going to go and then make adjustments towards that? Or is this kind of something that has come on in the last several years of this historic company? Well, I can, I can tell you that, uh, you know, I'm standing here today, the, uh, clearly the beneficiary of many, many mentors and coaches um, that go back uh, many, many years who have been retired. And I can tell you that um, where we are today has been an evolutionary process. But since I've been with the firm, um, the way we've managed the firm has been the same. I think we've just perpetually been improving it. Uh, we're constantly asking ourselves questions. Um, you know, are we are we uh, are we uh, living in mediocrity? Are we pursuing excellence? And you know, uh, you know, our our value system of passion for excellence always drives that question. And if it's not going to be excellent, then we're challenging ourselves to make it that way. Bob, can you th think of an example, without disclosing anything that is proprietary or confidential, of course, but an example of how, you know, let's say take an issue or a decision that you're in the process of making with your team. And can we hey, can we come move move to a break real quick and we'll come back with Come on, let me question. finish my question. <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll be right back. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive CEO or business owner, do you ever find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and at home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things just aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders just like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter your life to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and personal life. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com about the right plan for you. Okay, we're back. So here's the question. How, how can you give us an example of how you would walk us through a decision? You know, let's say you have an issue, pick an issue, and it doesn't have to be real, it can be hypothetical, but pick an issue and you're having a conversation with your team around a decision that's going to be reached. How do you use 
these values that are grounded in passion for excellence in order to functionally make that decision so it not only works, but it reinforces the culture that you've built for so many years and you want to sustain. Sure. That's a great question. And I think that, uh, you know, walking the talk is really what you're talking about. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I think I deal with on a day-to-day basis is, you know, client acceptance. So when we're in the marketplace, um, you know, we're, we're always trying to uh, obviously grow our business in the right way. And in that process, um, one of the decisions I have to make for every client that we accept uh, out of the Tacoma office um, and, and, this, and this speaks to every office in the firm. There's a, there's a stringent client acceptance process we go through. Um, that process uh, basically takes a number of things that, that I would say are tenants of the profession that we have to adhere to. Uh, we are clearly, clearly here to serve the public's interest in the, in the process that we occupy and the place we occupy in the business community. But ultimately, we have to ask the question, you know, is this client a good fit for us in terms of how we implement our service model, how we implement our pillar value systems into the marketplace? How will these people, how would these clients treat our people? Will our people like to work on this client? Because uh, for lack of a better term, that kind of harmony, when it's in sync, works extremely well. And um, so that's something I'm always, I'm always thinking about. And uh, there are many times when we don't think that's a good fit for us, and, and we'll say no to that, that opportunity. And that's, that's really hard to do. Um, but I think, um, you know, ultimately you can, um, you can always ask that question, you know, is this the right fit? And I think if, if it is a right fit with a person or a client, we're always trying to make those decisions. Wow. Do you have any testimonies that you can think of offhand where, where a client may have been somewhere where the culture wasn't of excellence and they've come to you and you can, you guys brought a solution, brought an answer, brought an opportunity that uh, another culture might have missed, something where you guys were able to, to capitalize on, on, on really being able to serve them at their point of need? That's a great question. I think that um, too oftentimes in, uh, in our profession, um, you know, we get so bogged down with the, uh, the cycle of, you know, gov- government uh, is changing the tax law. There, there's always some form of regulatory change. So literally, we spend so much of our time not only staying competent, but accelerating at our competencies that um, we can spend, we can focus almost 100% of our time on that. But we're not, in, in addition to being CPAs, we're also business advisors. And so one thing we do is we, we try to protect our time so that we can spend time listening to our clients, spend time actively meeting with them so that we can hear what they're going through and ultimately try to come up with plausible solutions. And um, our goal in terms of the purpose of making a valuable difference is also to say, have we in fact performed what I would call or what we call a, a heroic event in the life of a client? So the client can, can look back and say, wow, you know, you helped us make a great decision. Um, you helped us with a, an implementation of a strategy um, where it wasn't just uh, something we expected, it far exceeded our expectations. And so we evaluate whether we have done heroic events for our clients as part of our service model. I'm sure that has a big part in keeping the clients and, and probably have clients that have been with you uh, forever. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, we're, we've been very, very fortunate. Um, we have so many long-term clients, and I, and I have to say that uh, I wouldn't be here today with all, without all the wonderful clients that uh, we've had at the firm. And, and it's very humbling to know that um, we've been allowed to serve them. 
Um, and in that process of serving, we've developed wonderful relationships. And we want our clients to challenge us, and we want to be able to hopefully have an opportunity to provide services where we can be heroic in nature. Uh, again, that, that sounds kind of uh, cliche in some sense, but um, that's, what, that's what we want to do every day. Well, one of the things that we've, we've found out about you and about Moss Adams as a firm as we profiled you is that uh, you live what you talk. And that's evident by the fact that you have systems and processes built into your business that measure things like, you know, heroic events that you've produced for clients, that measure things like how do we make decisions using our values as opposed to just posting them on uh, the web and hoping that our people get it, but they don't get it because they're so busy doing their work every day mm -hmm. until, mm -hmm. until an implosion happens. And it, it, what's so apparent to me is that you all seem to have the, the structure and the processes built inside of the firm that create implosions, not only create implosions from happening, but challenge your people on a daily basis to live the values as opposed to just, you know, look at them, recite them, or forget them, which is, uh, unfortunately seems to be the norm with so many organizations. Well, I think if you go back to sustainability, um, again, we've been very fortunate to be in business this long. And, um, you know, I, again, I have to give uh, all the thanks to our clients and the partners and the staff uh, that, that want to be here, that like to be here and want to push the business forward. Um, but it's been challenging for every business out there over the last five years. And I think, uh, Steve, what you're, you're talking about is, you know, um, it, it's, it's easy to talk about these kinds of things in good times. Uh, it's extremely hard to talk about these kinds of things when times get tough. And um, I got to applaud our clients who have gone through these last few years uh, that harmonize with our value systems and the way we approach the market. Um, all of us are coming out of this uh, as, the, as, as things are not... Uh, in many respects better, but they seem to be getting somewhat better. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a, a you know, oxymoron there. But the, the, the issue is that uh, sustainability through the last five years, we're all going to be better business people. And I think we need to run our businesses better, more efficiently, and we need to focus on the, the fundamentals, um, including, obviously, decision-making values. Another thing that really impressed me, Bob, about your answer to our interview questions when we interviewed you for the blog article that, by the way, our listeners can catch on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. When we asked you the question that we ask every leader, you know, what's your vision of a culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement? The answer that you gave us just right off the cuff was a passion for excellence, integrity, lifetime learning, and respect, which just happens to be the values of, of Moss Adams. And uh, it wasn't like you had to pull a plasticized card out of your pocket or, you know, get your <laughs> iPhone or your, you know, your handheld and, you know, look it up on the website. It was just, it was, it was in your heart. And now we're starting to realize that you have a process and a system that you implement internally to cause that. So my, my question is, you, you kind of sit in a unique place by being not just an organization yourself that is challenged to live your own values, but your clients or other businesses and you are faced with a variety of challenges to serve your clients, where have you seen these cultures of ethics and values and employee engagement start to deteriorate, and what do you think causes that deterioration? I, I, don't, I think it's a, um, it's a great question. The, um, uh, the question, again, goes back to sustainability. How do you sustain 
uh, a culture and, um, you know, I guess there's always environmental factors. Uh, you know, I, I can look back when the economy was booming, um, you know, that, that also was hard uh, to, to sustain some of these, uh, these decision-making processes because, frankly, when people, um, you know, have lots of options in terms of uh, whether they're uh, going to be employed with a, a firm like Moss Adams or they're getting recruited by another firm that's a good firm, um, oftentimes the fact that people have options changes their decision-making and they'll chase options rather than chase culture and or chase uh, and they think they're chasing opportunity but I think you know we, we as a firm believe opportunity uh, is here all the time and, and we can create it and so for me um, like many of us we've had opportunities I've chosen to stay with the firm this long because like I do harmonize uh, and, and, and and believe in um, the leadership models we have and, and uh, you know the way we develop our staff and, and ultimately our goal in developing staff is to create what, what I would call financial heroes people that can go into the marketplace create heroic events and represent the profession in a way that's uh, sustainable well I love that idea because we talked about sustainability and also client retention for the firm but now we're, we're going into employee retention yes. not only training but now they're engaged um, they don't want to leave a culture like this talk about that well you know for me it's it's interesting I uh, when I was in, in school I've, I've, I worked for a, uh, a financial institution when I was in college and, and I noticed that that culture was very very sustainable uh, and I'll give a, a good pat on the back to my good friend Rick Bransma who runs uh, Sound Sound Credit Union who I, where I used to work and a company that had great values and culture and uh, no surprise they're still here today as well. Uh, they're, they're growing. Um, by the way, they're, they're not a client so uh, I, I don't have to make any, uh, any disclaimers there. But um, you know it when you see it. And I was uh, privileged to work for that company in college and I, I took my life lessons there and I I brought them to Moss Adams and I found out that it was another sustainable company with very similar value systems and you know it's all about serving the clients and serving people and it, and it goes back to how can we create value and opportunity for our people and our clients uh, in the process of, of practicing. As we get close to our next break I want to encourage our, our listeners who are business leaders who do business with accounting firms and CPA firms as a part of doing business to uh, visit you at mossadams.com and you know evaluate some of these values and some of these concepts that you've heard because quite frankly it's rare I mean it's rare even in a professional industry like CPAs to hear this ref refreshing conversation about you know how how you l live these values so make sure and business leaders you know follow up on this it, you almost feel like it would be a privilege to be one of your clients yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited because what I'm hearing is someone that is, is really building the foundation with the client at a relational level. It's a relationship. You care. And it's coming across, and it sounds like it's company-wide. It comes across that we are here to serve you. You're not just our client. We're building a relationship with you that's going to serve you at your point of need. We're going to move to a break, and we'll come back with Bob Hinton. Thank you. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. 
As advocates for creating strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. Has business taken over your life? Are you living to work or working to live? Stress, broken marriages, neglected relationships, and poor health are symptoms of a life out of balance. The right coaching plan can have a transformational impact on the quality of your performance at work, depth of relationships at home, and personal sense of well-being. Stop struggling to survive. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. Welcome back to Business Culture Matters, where we help the good guys win. And we're here with our guest, Bob Hinton of Moss Adams. Uh, Bob, glad you're here with us. Thank you. Uh, Bob, talking about culture and how it matters and how people matter most, talk about, you know, we talk about healthy cultures. Well, let's talk about the difference of, uh, of, of a culture that might be more toxic. Sure. And I don't know if you've experienced it in your work experience or just hearing from clients' experience. And and people don't realize not only uh, the environment itself that they're working in, but there's a huge cost in retraining because either they're you know you're losing clients that's a big cost, but also employees they they don't want to be in a toxic environment. Even in a bad economy, they may get want to go somewhere and get paid less and be treated right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's a huge cost to a company who isn't paying attention, who's not paying attention to culture. And and, and that cost, uh, can you talk about some of that? Well, I think the, uh, you know, employee engagement is, is clearly something that uh, we focus on uh, significantly. Uh, we, I, I spoke about it a little bit earlier. We do do uh, firm-wide employee engagement surveys. We look at the results and we uh, give uh, those results back to the staff at the office level. We talk about them. We form committees to discuss how we can do a better job. So again, it's cool. it goes back to collaboration. Now that's that's different than consensus management. That's a different thought process. But uh, collaboration and understanding and, and and identifying the issues is listening and learning. It's very similar to serving a client. We're serving the staff in that sense, and we and and they're serving us as a team. And together, we're trying to come up with common solutions. So, um, you know, if you don't do that, what happens is it, it, it can become, um, you know, something that's somewhat disingenuous, and it, it sounds good on paper, but ultimately, we're not uh, we're not living it. Um, and so, ultimately, the, the true test of that is is the folks that have been here for so long. Yeah, we've I've I've uh, come across a, a toxic environment recently and and talking to being able to interview some of the employees of this of this company and it was very clear that they lived uh with a high level of fear a high level of uh mm-hmm. you know i'm doing this to get a paycheck uh versus i'm passionate about it um a high a, a very low level of respect for the leadership of the company mm-hmm. um 
And so, and I don't think it's very sustainable. I mean, uh, I don't know how companies even operate uh, without even paying attention to that culture. I, yeah, I don't either. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I've been through a lot of seminars. I've, I've been through a lot of training. I've talked to a lot of CEOs. I may spend most of my time dealing with uh, the C-suite, you know, the, C, the senior uh, management teams. And, 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 I, and you really can come across different styles. But clearly, fear-based leadership does not create a culture of sustainability. It's very expensive. Um, people don't want to be there. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, are you going to go the extra mile? Uh, and, if, and if they don't have to, they're not going to. And unfortunately, there's been some school of thought over the, the years that, you know, a, a CEO needs to actually uh, act that way. And one of the best comments I heard um, recently was a, it was a seminar where I was challenged. Uh, they were challenging a bunch of folks in the room to say, look, share your disappointments with people. Because if you can be transparent and share your disappointments with anybody, um, you become a human being. And I don't have to have all the answers. And by reaching in and sharing those things, people go, wow, uh, you're just like me. Uh, I'm, you're not perfect. Uh, let's share some ideas and come up with an answer. And I tell you, no one has an exclusive franchise on good ideas. I'm always listening for that. That's great. Yeah, very well said. So we're getting lots of statistics through the media, through nationwide studies through surveys these days. The Gallup organization has just told us last fall that over 70% of American workers are effectively disengaged in their work. Uh, the University of Michigan told us uh, years ago that 70% uh, of all leaders who lead people lead in a manner that produces defensive behavior, but they don't realize that they do it. Uh, we just saw another study that uh, defines both at the Harvard Business School and the London Business School that identifies that uh, in excess of 70% of all corporate change initiatives fail to deliver the desired results. Most come and cause insufficient focus on people. So with this 70% number uh, out there looming so loud of leaders who lead their people and they think they're doing a great job. I mean, if we had a a room full of a hundred leaders and ask for a show of hands how many of you are leading your people in a manner that produces just the opposite of what you want nobody would raise their hand yet the research shows us that when you ask the people 70 percent say yes my boss leads me in a manner that produces causes defensiveness you know fear uh, aggression uh, passive defensive head nodding and smiling sure right on right on but that's not really what I feel avoidance of conflict internal competition all of these awful behaviors that come out but leaders don't realize they're sending this message so as a you know as a business consultant as well as a business leader yourself what or have you seen that that you know this denial is taking place where leaders don't realize that they're off track and they really are and what what are you guys doing both internally and externally for your clients to help help them you know break through this denial and get to the real issues of true trans transparency sure i think it's a great question I, you know where it, where it really plays out in the marketplace is when I'm sitting down uh, meeting with the CEO and, and we're talking about business management issues and uh, oftentimes that, that moves back to people. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I, I do is I have uh, the CEOs, you know, bring out their organizational chart and I'll say, let's, um, in your opinion, you know, let's, give, let's give these folks, in your opinion, just between the two of us, an ABC grade, A being obviously what, you know, that's easy to understand, ABC, I think I understand that, I'm an accountant. Uh, their letters, I get it. Um, so let's let's grade these folks quickly, 
and um, oftentimes they're C's and B's. And then I asked a question of the CEO, what do they think they are? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes um, we'll get different answers. And then I asked the CEO, um, why would they think that if you think something different? And I think that that's, that's the issue. It's, it's, there, there is a, um, clearly a, a disconnect in many organizations between um, maybe the strategies of the company and where people are performing. And by reaching into that and, and saying, look, we have some disappointments we need to resolve, rather than passive aggressiveness, which is avoiding those disappointments uh, or maybe even avoiding conflict. I don't think conflict is necessarily bad. I think unresolved conflict's bad. And so what causes a lot of that is just unresolved conflict that's gone on for years with people, and it, and it turns into bitterness. It turns into things that are just not conducive for people to work together. Um, on the other side, what I like to do is when I'm coaching folks is I, I like to ask them a question. I like to ask this question, what do you want? What do you want? I'm not asking about goals because we can set goals around wants, but let's first figure out what that individual wants to do. And once you can figure that out, we can put plans in place that harmonize with, say, our firm uh, strategies and ultimately going back to the book, Good to Great, get the, the person on the right seat sooner than later. That's, that's the focus. I love that. And, you know, earlier you touched on it um, in this idea of, I would call it humility, uh, vulnerability. People are, uh, in, uh, 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 it's infectious when a leader is vulnerable and says, I don't know it all. And people say, well, you're just like me. You, I can relate to you. You're relatable. Sure. And this whole idea of adaptability, this excellent culture idea, wouldn't you think it, it comes down to a leader or a senior management willing to humble themselves and see where they are, see the gap between what they've stated their values are and where they're performing and being humbled enough to say, we've got to move to that. Help me. Coach, help me. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. is that what you see? That the ones that are adapting quickly, early adopters to this change or this shift that needs to happen within the organization versus the others that are still stuck in the militant mindset? Well, I think there's always the, the early adopters. And I think uh, you can spend too much time uh, convincing everyone that maybe uh, this is the right approach. And ultimately, the people that will come forth and say, this is what I want, uh, you can develop plans and, 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 again, harmonize those into the strategies. And once the, the group gets moving, you know, some of the other people that are kind of the wait-and-see folks, they go, well, I better get on board. That's where we're going. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, uh, you know, it's like uh, trying to carry a canoe by yourself. It's not very easy. Yeah. But once everybody decides that's what we're going to do, it's, it's really simple to move things uh, that are awkward or heavy to move. Yeah. And go with the current versus going to There you go. The there you go. I've done both. It's easier to go with the current. I think we're getting close to another break. But what I want you to, to think about and be able to respond to when we get back from the break is this this whole idea of living through transparency. We're, we just published a series of blog articles on our site at excellentcultures.com about leaders and transparency, and we did a shout-out for the GoDaddy CEO who basically fessed up and said, it was our fault, we let you down, we're sorry. Uh, what, what, what I'm going to ask you to respond to when, you, when we get back to the break is, how, how can we encourage leaders and coach leaders to get past the fear factor? If I, if I really tell the truth and admit that, you know, I'm bad, uh, you know, I'm going to get fired or, you know, our stock is, is going to go down as opposed to just stepping up to the plate and 
compelling like it is. So hold on, we'll be right back. Great. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at ExcellentCultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive CEO or business owner, do you ever find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and at home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things just aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders just like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter your life to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and personal life. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com about the right plan for you. We're back at Biz Culture Matters. So the question is, how do you encourage an executive, especially a CEO, to live transparently transparently, and share openly their weaknesses and their mistakes and know that that's a positive rather than a negative? Because usually it's this big glooming fear that if everybody thinks that I made this mistake, they're going to lose confidence in me and our stock is going to go down and lose my job. How, how do you get past that? Sure. I think the... Uh yeah, it's human nature, um, and that's one of the things that I think is in a, in a team, um, you create a culture whereby we're pursuing excellence, we're not pursuing perfection. And in too many companies, I, I, I CEOs, companies I talk to, there's a culture of perfection. And I know when you think about that intellectually, you understand that perfection and excellence is different, but there's a lot of people that maybe not really know what that means. For example, um, you, know, you, you know, you watch a lot of football games where maybe the underdog wins, uh, but during that game, there were a lot of turnovers. Well, those are clearly mistakes. Those are things that happen. Um, you, we have to be, uh, you know, prepared to deal with adversity, mistakes. And, you know, the coaches that I like to watch are the ones where the quarterback fumbles or the running back fumbles and they put him back in the game, right? Because that's a learning experience. Uh, what, what I don't like is um, when mistakes have been made and, and folks – will uh, protest too much about how it's not their fault. Um, you know, what, what I like to do is, is try to live by example. When I make a mistake, I'll admit it, I'll talk about it, I'll probably embarrass myself a little bit. Um, but the point is that um, leading by example there teaches others to say, look, you know, if he can make a mistake and admit it emphatically, you know, not, not just kind of walking around it, emphatically, I screwed up, I made a mistake. Um, when I hear people do that in, in our organization where uh, there's a mistake, we'll fix it. We will fix a mistake. But I can't fix somebody who's perfect. 
That's that, my that's my problem, and so that's what we have to wrestle with. That comes again down to humility. Here's a question and a thought as you're talking about this this team concept and and a people a, a person fumbling the ball, making a mistake. Uh, recently, there was a professional football player, a rookie, I think New York Giants, if I recall correctly, who fumbled first first game of the season, and it wasn't it, and it wasn't so much uh, the leadership coming down on him, and it wasn't him saying. Boy, you know, uh, uh, you know, I made a mistake, you know, but you know, hey, I'm going to move on. He took it himself so hard that uh, he, he wasn't uh, emotionally prepared to get back in the game. Coach sure. realized it. The guy was in tears. Basically, uh, we keep him out of the game. He fumbled first play. So, how, as a leadership team, how do you how do you communicate? Number one, it's okay to make a mistake. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be there for you when you do. Versus, because some people hate will won't even want to get in the game if they know they're gonna mis- make a mistake or even suggest an idea if they're gonna get slammed. How do you communicate that? But also, then when somebody does make a mistake, you're there to pick them up and say, "Hey, get back in the game." Yeah, that's that's a day to day thing. I mean. Uh those things don't happen on, on a uh, on a on a schedule, right? So you can't predict them. But when they happen, we have to be ready and and have enough margin in our day to walk in, uh, pull alongside somebody, and say, "Hey, you know, I, I saw what happened. Guess what? That happened to me too." Okay. Pretty much anything that, that's happened, I've I've probably seen, or, or it's happened to me personally. Uh, I'm not perfect, by the way. Uh, it probably won't happen again because you learned a lesson, right? And it's one of those kinds of conversations. Uh, that I can look back in my career, where the managing partner came alongside, put you know, put his arm around me and said, "Hey, you can do, you can do a better job next time. It's okay. I've done the same thing." That builds a, a relationship. Uh, it's glue. It's the kind of culture we want, and ultimately, um, it's the kind of leadership traits we want uh, at the firm. Uh, people that can empathize. You know, in, in our work at Excellent Cultures, we're constantly using our data instruments to look below the surface and help leaders see what they don't see and measure things like perfectionistic culture. And I, I like to use the analogy of the iceberg so much because what we see is the 10% that's on the top, but an iceberg really is a 90% below. And it was a 90% below that sunk the Titanic. You know, was, and when you, if you really go deeper, it was the culture of the leadership team that sunk the Titanic because, Titanic because they believed that this was a bulletproof boat. It was, you know, invincible. You know, <laughs> and as a result, that built the mindset that caused them to make mistakes and and not even realize it. So, uh, oftentimes when all when the data will show us when we take the biz culture MRI and the data shows us that we've got a perfectionistic culture in place, and we pointed out to leaders, typically they're in denial. I mean, that you get, you must have got the wrong organization because that's not us. That's not the way we operate. But then when you start to go deeper and ask the questions. Like one time I had a great leader who, who told me, you know, the what do you want question. And he said, I want a culture of robust dialogue. And then we got the data and it showed that it was anything but that. You know, the culture of everybody mixing up and throwing it on the table and being transparent and talking about it. And uh, he thought it was the wrong data. So I went and interviewed the executive team anonymously under the bridge of anonymity. And they said, well, you know, this guy doesn't realize it, but what he calls robust dialogue is really robust monologue. And in the process of, of that self-discovery, great things started to happen and change began, you know, to take place and huge breakthroughs in the business. Now, m- my question to you, you know, as a uh, leader and a consultant who's out there, you know, interviewing CEOs all the time, 
how do you how do you get them to 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 recognize and recognize first get past their denial second and then operationalize and admit you know the fact that they're frail and make mistakes and see that as a positive as opposed to a negative that's really tough i mean i think that uh you know at 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 the c at the c-suite level it's pretty lonely um you know the the last thing really anybody wants to see is their leader uh not having answers or or uh, running away from problems and so i'm not talking about that what i'm talking about is is being able to be human in the process of being a great leader. And when, when I, uh, what I've noticed is that um, a lot of CEOs uh, get real isolated uh, in their companies because um, they feel there's, they put almost too much pressure on themselves to be that way. And that isolation has consequences. That isolation means you're, you're a little disconnected. Uh, you might be missing an opportunity. Uh, you might clearly misinterpret where the company's going. And so um, I'm always encouraging, uh, you go back to that organizational chart, you know, when's the last time you really had a cup of coffee with Jim or Jane? And, and when's the last time you really reached into that relationship and, and, and tried to find a way to connect in a way to say, you know, go back to the questions, what do you want? How can we work together? So sometimes, uh, you know, through adversity, people will withdraw and they'll get isolated and, it, and that's not a good thing. Uh, I try to reach in as an advisor and say, hey, you know, let's talk about the issues and then try to move them to talk more about those with their management team. How, how do you get through the stiff analytical CEO who thinks they're perfect and is in denial and you can so obviously see that there's a huge breakthrough there that they're not seeing? What are some of the techniques you use to coach those guys? Well, I think it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, uh, some some folks have uh, you know success success is a is a nasty thing sometimes because success can breed uh, you know perfectionism. It can breed uh, uh, someone who doesn't want to listen. Um, and and I believe, and maybe I'm in a minority here. I think over the long haul, success breeds mediocrity because it does create some isolation. Um, failures are great because what happens is. Um, a CEO will go, wow, you know, we, we made a mistake, company made a mistake, you know, I, I got to reevaluate a little bit. Um, so oftentimes it's, it's, it's an event, and uh, without an event, there really isn't a, an open ear. Um, and so it goes back to heroic events. I mean, that's when we need to step in as advisors and say, hey, by the way, we're here to help. Uh, let's talk about the business. Uh, let's, let's not just talk about the numbers. Let's talk about the business, what's going on with the culture, what's going on with the people. Um, and, and if you go around, you know, uh, what, I, what we call the four cornerstones, people, customers, operations, and growth, if you just touch on those four cornerstones, which is how we run our business model, uh, we, we, we ultimate, you'll ultimately find out that there's a problem in one of those cornerstones, if not more than one. Um, and ultimately, um, had one of those conversations uh, recently this weekend with a client, uh, and it was very good. So, I mean, you never know when those are going to happen. Well, just the fact that you're alert to them and aware of them is so critical. So we're getting close to the end of the show. Got one more question for you. Uh, one of the other things we do at Excellent Cultures, in, adjust, in addition to measuring cultures, is we look for world-class cultures of performance excellence and try to study what they're doing and then operationalize it so others can follow. And you touched on this capacity of, of transparency. Uh, where we found a great example of that is in the Blue Angels, the flight team, that uh, you would think that they're all about perfection because a split second could mean death, and sometimes it has, in the decisions of their, of their aerobatics and flight routines. 
But uh, what, what we found from the interviews with the leaders of the Blue Angels is they have a process that they have operationalized that after every routine that they complete, they do what they call fess it and fix it. Um, every member goes, they go around the table and they talk about, this is what I did that I wish I could have done better. Uh, this is where I made a mistake that I want to do differently the next time. And it's their responsibility as individuals to fess, lay it on the table, just throw it out there, and it's become part of their process. And what's, what's so awesome about it is, you know, if you would guess anybody is close to perfection in terms of what they're able to do in death-defying acts and, you know, do it for the good of the crowd, their team, and, and the country, uh, that something like that is something that businesses could learn from and operationalize, and it sounds like that's what you're out there trying to tell and coach your clients to do. Well, I, I think that uh, you're hitting on something really important, and that is that you know you have to listen to folks inside the company and outside the company. And uh, you know we've uh, spent a lot of time having coffee together, uh, Steve, and and these are the kinds of things like that fi- fess it and fix it thing that I think we'll all walk away today with another idea that I'll try to implement into our business. Um, but go- going back to transparency. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, we have a our strategic plan called the competitive edge, and that competitive edge is something that we've had for, for many, many, many years. Every year we roll it out. We believe that if, for example, I left today uh, and, I, and I dropped it on the sidewalk, um, we would be totally fine with that. We, we, we really, really, uh, are, that, that's a public document. That's something that we would want our clients to read. That's something we would like, we don't have a problem with the public reading. It's something that we're very proud of and our sta- we want our staff to read. We want input from the staff. We want input from our clients. And if there's something that we should tweak, fix, fess, or whatever, I mean, we, we do want input on that. And, and ultimately, you know, the, the, the way this harmonizes in the business world is we have a role to play. And our role, our role is to um, serve the public's interest in, in all that we do to make sure we're serving our clients and, and ultimate, ultimately creating, a, uh, you know, creating, a, a, you know, uh, you know, uh, positive uh, positive results in whether it's a tax return or an audited financial statement where people can rely on it uh, so with, there's a lot of perfection uh, in in terms of uh, you know you don't want to be wrong on those things but ultimately uh, when it comes to transparency we clearly have to um, we try to we try to walk that and uh, again um, I like that analogy you just threw out there it's good well we didn't invent it we got it from some really <laughs> smart really smart guys so Bob we're gonna have you back on the show I mean you've made a tremendous contribution uh, we're going to uh, post the soundtrack, uh, excellentcultures.com, on the Biz Culture Matters page so that leaders, as you're listening to this, uh, forward this around to your friends. I mean, Bob is a great mentor and a great coach. Uh, I know him personally. He lives his values. His organization lives their values. Anybody can learn from this who wants to run a business that is all about excellence. Bob, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yes, and you guys, uh, audience out there, Clay, 1180 a.m. on uh, uh, at 7 a.m. on Saturdays. Tell your friends, tell your family. Love to have them. We've got great guests coming. Thank you for being with us. Yeah.